0: Hello and welcome back to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and today we're going to be talking to Missy Whitus. Missy has been involved with improv and middle school and high school and choir for over 15 years. She studied improv at SAC Comedy Lab here in Orlando, Florida, and with Paul Sills, the co-founder and director of Second City. More importantly, Missy is a two-time cancer survivor, and that alone should make you want to listen today. The way she has faced that and then taking that and using it for good and putting it toward improv is just really, it's pretty amazing. She also teaches at the University of Cincinnati and she directs theater around the Cincinnati area. Missy does a lot of applied improv as well, with companies like GE Aviation, Hershey, p g Educational Theater Association, just to name a few. She's a board member of the Applied Improv Network, and she's a founder and director coach of several improv troupes, including the Middle Trial. Now, If you are into implied improv or if you're working with teenagers or middle schoolers or you're thinking about bringing that to your community, you really want to listen to this episode. She delves in pretty deep. I was really excited. Also, she's a Florida girl, so we got to talk about that. And uh, we had a lot of fun, so I hope you enjoy. So sit back, relax, and here we go. Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. Let's, uh, let's talk improv, especially, I mean, I want to talk, let's talk teaching improv because I have a lot of questions, especially with the corporate side of it and you being on the applied, uh, part of the AIN board and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so how long have you been teaching improv? Uh, what year is it? Uh, 16 years. (laughs) Nice. What, um, why, why did you get into teaching? Uh, well, because honestly, James
1: Newport at SAC. Um, so I was already teaching high school and I was already teaching, uh, drama. And, um, to be honest, I found improv through having had ovarian cancer. Um, I was supposed to, um, find some way to fail because I was dealing with what is called the cancer mentality, which is living each day to the fullest, that whole I saw my life flash before my eyes, live each day to the fullest, mixed with will the next appointment be the one where it comes back. And so trying to find a place in that middle is very difficult for a lot of survivors. So um, I was in therapy because of it, as a lot of cancer survivors are. Um, and, um, And she said, you have to find a place where it's safe to fail, and I I was like, uh, not happening. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't. And so, um, so she said, don't come back until you do. So I was teaching uh, vocal music at a at a huge high school in Kissimmee, Florida, and the drama teacher, who the musicals were my responsibility, right, which is typical in a high school situation. Um, she said, why don't you go take an improv class? And the English teacher, who we all, who the three of us, part with said oh my gosh it'd be great for you that'd be you should go do that and she said I'll make a call because I know classes I think registration's about done and she called Jay Hopkins at SAC and came back and said yep Jay says there's still room if you want to sign up so I said fine whatever I'll go do it so not even thinking that I would go past The first class, because at the time, the woman who sat in that first class is not the woman you see before you and that you're talking to right now. And I I sat in the back and I was incredibly quiet and didn't, you know, did not talk to a lot of people. And um, and Ryan Smith of SAC was my first teacher. And um, he got us all up and got us in a circle and said, before we go any further, I need to tell you that improv is about making mistakes and celebrating those mistakes. And then said, and I quote, it's safe to fail here. And so I went, oh, and the heavens opened up and and all was great. And I went back to my therapist and she said, she said, oh, you're back. You found something. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she said, what are you doing? I said, taking comedy improvisation classes. And she said, oh, I wanted you to make a pot holder or something. She was like, what are you doing? And, and I said, I don't think we're going to need you anymore. And so I uh, continued through classes at SAC and ended up in James Newport's class. James Newport, to me, is a legend teacher um, and... And at the end of and I finally got a chance when Middle Child was at uh, the Gatlinburg Festival last year. I finally got a chance to say this to him and say it publicly that I took his class and he We're having the meeting at the end. And he said, you're doing great. I'm going to move you on. And um, and I said, I don't want to go. And he said, oh, that's sweet. But you need to move on. It's time to go. And I said, no, I don't want to. And he said, "Why not? Why wouldn't you want to move on to the next level? Because at that point, I had one more level in the lab rats to do." And um, and he said, "And he said, why wouldn't you want to do that?" And I said, "Because I want to end up. I want to teach this. I don't want to perform it. So I need to stay with the best teacher on staff." So I took James's class again, with the intention. And he knew this going in that my intention for taking that class second semester was to learn how to coach, was to learn how to teach. And so he, in a sense, treated me a little differently in that class. And I got my first taste of side coaching um, on a different level than you just do in class. And um, I also played piano. I play piano still. So Jay um, said, hey, we need a piano player for Lab Rats. So I jumped up and played piano for Lab Rats while staying with James continuously to, to learn to teach for a while. And then uh, did that for, I don't know, how many class rounds. And then, um, yeah, was, and then I was at that high school and started an improv troupe at that high school in Kissimmee. And that was the first taste of me trying to see how it, how it could work. And at the time, there was only one other improv high school improv troupe in Florida. And so we would end up meeting each other at thespian festivals and things like that but when we did regional things on a high school thespian level we were the only ones and um and so that started then the teaching of teaching other teachers what are you doing how did you start this at your school how did you pick those people um etc etc and then here we are 2016.
0: With that with that first improv high school I, I love that because that is a different age and a different approach than our adult learners. Plus, were they getting, was it like an after school thing or were they getting school credit also? It was after school. (coughs) Okay. Um, But they were all my drama and choir kids. So when you created, so I'd love to just talk a little bit about like classroom management with them though, because it's a little different than an adult learner. So you had already had some teaching experience in a, in that environment, right? Because as a vocal teacher and stuff. Right. So what, when, when managing that age group, what do you find to be helpful? Uh, because there's a lot of people out there who are asked to do workshops or like start an after-school club and whatnot. And they're a different, they're, they're a, they're a really fun age, but they're also have some, you know, they're still children. But they're not kids, right? Like so. So, what are some things right. that you think really help and work when you're you're working with that age group? Well, two things,
1: and you can you can keep me on track to make sure I cover both things. The first thing is for the teacher, which is realizing that that the they I I teach a workshop called "Keeping in Sync with Your Troop: The Boy Band Way of Thinking." And um, by doing that, it's like if you think like a boy band, that there's a lead singer, there's a, the cute one, there's the rebel, right? There's all these. Different
0: the old ones. one.
1: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so teachers come to that workshop, and what I'm saying to them is, is that you don't, you know, just because the star of your musical is the star of the musical of here doesn't make him or her have to be on the improv troupe. It could be some freshman who walks down the hall who you notice has absolute great personality or, you know, what have you. So I always say it's not who you expect it to be. And the way that you find who it is is what I always tell the kids. So so I teach um, a lot of high schools throughout the year. And my big thing is it's not about being funny. It's about being real right and i and and so if we're after that whole it's not about being funny it's not being real uh which we all know um then then you find you get rid of the comedians Uh, let me let me let me rephrase that no you get rid of the class clowns and you find the comedians right billy crystal had a great quote which i'll get wrong but he said that um he said that the class clown is the one who moons everybody at a football game. And the comedian is the one that talked him into dinner. Ah, yes. <laughs> right. So when you find the high school kids who are there for different reasons, not to be a star, but to work out, to work things out comedically and, and be that mentally, spiritually, physically, what have you. Um, they're the ones you want. They're the ones you want. So um, that makes it easier to manage.
0: How do you create an environment that then holds on and lets them know this is their place? This Because a lot of us find improv because we're like, oh, these are my people. Right, right. Right. So so what, are you, so what do you find that works to, like, once they find you, like, no, you found the right place, this, env- this environment is absolutely safe for you to be in. What are some things that you find work?
1: Well, I think getting rid of freeze tag works tremendously. And I, and I use that as a specific and as a directive, meaning that I start from the very beginning teaching eye contact, facial expressions, nonverbals. Um, and in doing exercises that do those that are still causing us to laugh, you're doing what I call stealth learning. Right. So we're 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 pulling in aspects of improv that aren't just throwing people up there saying, hey, we know it's not about comedy, but don't, but we're going to put you up here. And and, you know, we don't we, it's OK if you don't make us laugh. But there's that pressure of knowing that you're you're doing a com, you're doing comedy right so i think it goes back to i work with a troop in via skype in minnesota and the the director always says to me the high school teacher again it's an after school after school club and he he says i got kids who just want to go joke, joke 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 so he said please fix this for me so i was watching the scene that they were doing and i just stopped and said where are your and I named things that I know he'd already done. Why aren't you looking at your partner? Where you know, just naming those basic rules that some of us as improvisers cling to because we have to. We have to have the structure, right? That it weeds out. It's, uh, that sounds terrible, but it does. It weeds out the 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 kids who go joke, 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 joke. joke right? And so what it does is it empowers the the students who go, oh. I was following the rules and because I wasn't getting a laugh, I'm still setting up a joke for later. Or I'm the reason that they're like, I'm, I'm what I call a realist improviser. And I learned this from James, right. And back to James Newport. shout out to James Newport. So um, if, if two people are talking in a scene and they're sitting and they're supposed to be at a restaurant and it turns into an argument or it turns into what have you, I'm the improviser who will come in as the waitress and go, hey, are y'all ready to order? Which is, you know, my way of going. By the way, there's an entire audience and and who are watching you not eat at a restaurant. Right? So, so when you do that, and when students, especially high school students, realize that the things they were thinking are missing are incredibly valid, then that keeps them there. That makes sense. And 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 answers, and and again, the kids who, the ones who are wanting to joke, 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 joke all the time are now um, backing off a little bit because the others are getting a little more empowered and realizing that they can be funny by being the waiter or they can be funny by doing whatever's missing in the scene. I always say this it's not about what's wrong and how can I fix it, it's what's needed and how
0: can I help. I love that for both adults and for teenagers because it's a different way to look at the situation in front of you. Right. Right. And so oh, you're like the the
1: troop that I had in Florida talk that's when I developed this whole boy band theory so to speak um was because we had one student, I had one kid who could close a scene down no matter what the situation was, no matter where we were. He was great, and he was often punny and knew how to bring it, knew how to, bring it to a close. And so he, could, he had such an amazing sense of storytelling that he could tell when it was dragging, and he and I would look at each other, and I'd go, shut it down. Just go shut it down and leave me a high note. And so he, because of that, when he figured out that's where his gifting and talents were, he felt absolutely no pressure to start that scene. And and in the meantime, I had another student who was basically the captain and anchor of the team who, who absolutely had no fear to start the scene. But he always knew that once he left the gift, he has to get out. Like He was like, I'm useless past this. I'll get you started, but then you guys do your thing, right? And so so he'd leave as many gifts as he could and then block away. Well, once I finally got them to understand that, that troop went on for a long time. And so so my, um, what I established at all, I taught at three high schools throughout my t- teaching career. And um, my, the rule was, you had to go through two, three weeks of training before we even auditioned. Because, especially if I, if I walked into a school where there had been an improv troupe before, which was usually funny, haha and not about the learning. Um, uh, then they had to go through that, then they could audition. And once you made it, if you make it through that, then you're on it till you graduate I'll, I'll date myself here but i used to say it's the menudo based improv troupe and that once you're too old you age out <laughs> and um sort of throw out you know turning my gen x card if you don't understand that reference right so um <laughs> So, I understand it,
0: though.
1: Yes, exactly. exactly. So, so they were on it till they aged out. But I also, this also helped in the management of it in that they had to have a 3.5 GPA and they couldn't get in trouble with other teachers. Because we were re- really high profile at every school because we were unique and we were different and not everybody could get on it. And, you know, that kind of thing. So so by holding them to that standard also, then th- after that precedent was set at every school, after that, the the kids who really wanted to be on it were the ones coming to audition. Because they watched all year as, as they kept their high GPAs, as they stayed up, they kept their nose clean,
0: you know, that kind of stuff. There's a positive reward at the end for all that hard work, right? That's a great... I mean, as a parent, that's just a great like. I I know I positive reinforcement all the time. Um, <laughs> so, uh. right,
1: and and just uh, as a like a little bit of a aside with this, but not that. And every school system got the team got noticed um, by the principals and the superintendent. And in Florida, I would get calls all the time that the superintendent would say. Hey, we got a really stressful board meeting coming up, and for student spotlight because they'd always like to do something at the beginning to show, like to introduce the spelling bee winner or you know something like that. He'd call and go, "Can you guys come? out do student spotlight. Can you guys come open it up?" And I'm like, "Yeah, no problem. We'll save you. You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> that kind of thing. We'll save you." And and at at um this the one of the schools here in Cincinnati where I taught the improv troupe basically funded the drama department in, in the ways that I never had to do a fundraiser, never had to do one. Because if the, if the show didn't pay for itself, then in between, in between musicals and, and the play, because I was both the drama and choir director at that school, we would do improv shows. So the, the next show was paying for itself by proceeds from the previous show and the, and the improv shows
0: between shows. And then as you progress through this, you've also, uh, now talk about completely different dealing with the teenagers. Now you have to deal with adults in a corporate environment. (laughs) Yes, absolutely.
1: Well, again, I had had, I had cancer again, uh, cancer and improv go hand in hand in my life. Um, yeah, I had this time, the first time I had ovarian and the second time, this time that we're referring to now, I had thyroid.
0: Woo. Um,
1: so yeah, so I was teaching at that second Cincinnati school. Um, uh, I mean the second school of, of my three. So I moved back from Florida and, and my thyroid was really, really screwed up and they would not take it out because of what I did for a living. Um, teaching drama and choir. And, and at this point, I, I have to to say that I didn't realize until years later, I was also out a lot teaching workshops. So I was teaching at the local and state Thesbian conferences. I was doing an occasional mega church workshop or something. And to me, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that that was gaining momentum because I was in the classroom. I was a classroom teacher and I had, you know, Rep- I had reports to grade and parent-teacher conferences and bus duty, and you know I wasn't even thinking about the fact. So to me, it was just a fun day out to go do something. So then my th- thyroid got so bad, um, and again I kept looking at my my ENT saying, "Look, I'm not that good. Like I'm not, I'm not going to do a solo Carnegie Hall album. Will you please take my thyroid out?" And he said, "If I mess up that that vocal cord, you," can- I said. Well, I said to him one time, if I was a bowler, would you operate on my hand? And he said, I can give you a prosthetic hand. I can't give you a prosthetic vocal cord. So if I mess it up, we're, we're, you're done. Like, your career is over. So uh, because of that, I had to take uh, time off teaching because my vocal folds would not come together. And because my thyroid was weighing them down. So I had to do a year and a half of voice therapy. And wasn't allowed back in the classroom. So I had a note from my doctor that I couldn't go to school. (laughs) It was a mess. It was an absolute mess. So, um, so in taking that time off, what was happening then was those, those, those um, little side conferences and things I was teaching gained throughout that year, just in the sense, again, and I, and I worked retail, which I was not supposed to do, but what you've got to have money somehow. Right. And, and I wasn't in the classroom because again, I wasn't supposed to be doing anything, but how could I, I mean, I'm not independently wealthy. You can afford to take a year and a half off on voice rest. What the what? So, um, so I ended up doing some more of those and picking those up. And that's when it was during that section was when I realized, Oh, I thought, Oh, I could totally teach adults. Not a problem. Whatever. No, no, no adult. If you, if you think teaching adults is just like whatever you know you think it is. Oh, it's like teaching older high school kids. Or or if you go, oh, and I know I'm an adult, I can teach us new nope. uh uh-uh, not at all. So that was when I really started understanding the adult learner. And I think one of the biggest things that come with the adult learner in improv. Is that we have to understand as instructors that there is so much life behind those people now that you're also dealing with not only ego, which we have to deal with as improvisers all, and improv teachers all the time, but you're also dealing with people like me. Maybe I took it because I had cancer, or, um, you know, the, the, I, the amount of people who go, yeah, my parents bought this for me because they thought it would be a good idea. Like young adults would say that in in, in my classes or what have you. So um, now I say that to say that the reason that I found that out was because of that year, I started teaching at um, Playhouse in the Park here in Cincinnati. Um, or I'm sorry, I should, I'm supposed to say it, two-time Tony Award winning Playhouse in the Park. <laughs> That's how it, it's we so, so conditioned in me. I, I still say it. I've been there for years. Um, and so uh, because the education director called me and said, so I understand you're not in the classroom right now. And I said, no, I'm not. He goes, finally, please come teach this class for me. And so um, it was a, the former education director. And as his last act of office, he created an improv track for me to, to start teaching. So I would have lawyers in there who were there for public speaking. I would have bartenders who were in there for the exact same reason. I would have young adults who said, my parents thought this would be good for me who inevitably ended up being engineers or, you know, that kind of thing. And then I'd have without fail. Oh, I'm funny. My friends thought I should take this class and I want to be a stand up, So I'm taking an improv class with teachers a lot my very first questions are when they go oh can you come work with my troop or talk you know skype with us and talk about improper whatever i always say what are you teaching are you teaching the rules and then if they say no i go oh well then you and i have to have a long talk before we even go on because you have to you've got to teach those things and then i would say are you johnstone are you Spolen? Where, you know, where are you going with this? Have some foundation, preferably say Spolin first and then Johnstone and then and and figure it out because there are kids in there who really want to be a part of this. But without that structure, without those rules. So um, one of the one of the high school teachers I work with tells his kids, they come in every year and the new kids come in and go. Yeah, why can't we just stand there and just make stuff up? Why do we have to follow your directions and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, okay. And he does this every year. He gets And so his, his veterans laugh now because they know what's going to happen. He gets in his pocket and gets out his car keys. And he goes, can you drive? And they go, yeah. And he goes, here, go drive. Don't follow any rules. And they go, uh, well, I'm going to get killed. And he goes, oh, so rules are important then? okay we're done here (laughs) and 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 does it it does it that way i i also say and this is a thing that helped in in getting to the corporate um teachers and getting to the adult learners is that limiting is freeing limiting is freeing and and so That's why I start with exercises on eye contact. That's why I start with fun, fun quote games, which, which I, you know, have to watch how I use those terms, but exercises on making sure we're moving the spotlight and, and including everyone else because again, it goes back to the stealth learning and if we keep it there. So I I recently taught some teachers at the national thespian conference And one of the teachers said, well, I'm really having a problem with this limiting is freeing idea. And I said, why? And he said, well, I just want the kids to feel more creative. And I don't want to feel like I'm stifling their learning. And I said, okay, all right. Well, as we go on today through this workshop, we'll see, you know, I'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. And let's see what we do as we come up with, with, with more exercises and games. So we're moving on and we're about maybe 10, 15 minutes into it. And I give them the directions for the exercise that we're going to do. And were was about having a conversation and, and some things within that, specifics within the conversation. And I look over and said teacher and his partner are struggling. And I said, what's going on? Have you guys started your conversation? And he said, I, I don't know what to talk about. Like, I can't figure out anything to talk about. Will you give us something to talk about? And I said, oh, I don't want to limit and squander your creativity. And he went, oh, all right, I get it. And I said, power of words, man, power of words. And so taking all those ideas and and then moving into the corporate world, I thought, okay, so what I do with the corporate is take all those things that I learned from learning about adult learners, learning about structure, and then I work with – these companies and, and determine what is it that you truly want? And you know, the words of the Spice Girls, what, tell me what you want, what you really, really want and we'll make it happen. But I have to keep in mind that adult learner. So, so then I went back to teaching and um, was at the final of the three high schools. And one day I turned in a, a, a sheet to be gone again to do a corporate workshop. And Somebody in the office said you're leaving again, and I said, uh, "What do you mean?" She said, "You were just out last month. You just did one of these last month," and I went, "Oh, didn't realize that." So in my head, thinking, "Oh, this is really doing something," and then that's when the cancer showed up again the the thyroid cancer. And so I got a year off uh, of took a sick leave because I had to have radiation treatment and all that kind of stuff. And uh, and that's all I did was i went and worked with started working with procter gamble and ge aviation and um children's hospital here at cincinnati and university of cincinnati and and uh companies all over and um realizing that that the corporate world when they hear improv automatically think comedy ha ha So turning all those things that we just talked about, that I just rattled on about, turning all those concepts into corporate terms and then doing the exact same thing. But realizing that they also have a thousand emails they have to answer, realizing that. They're not happy with their boss that day, that they have giant projects. At GE Aviation, I can't go to the bathroom by myself, quite literally. I have to have – I have military – you know, I don't have military clearance. So there's that already sense of high pressure of what they do is so important that I always say to my GE clients, I always tell people in my workshops that it's safe to fail and I said, and for the next however long we're together, that's true. But the split second you leave here, GE Aviation, that does not apply anymore. <laughs> do, please do not think of that while you make the moving parts of military airplane
0: engines. <laughs> well, that's that's always like the joke. You get a bunch of you know, like doctors and surgeons. It's okay to fail. Oh, but not in don't not in the surgical suite. Thank you. <laughs> um, the right,
1: but uh, when. Exactly, so 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 th- I was gonna say so saying that and thinking that is so important to corporate, and I think that's where a lot of people who want to get into the corporate applied world kind of lose lose um they can't build the bridge is because they're coming to this place of improv is about free form and, and and I'm like, yeah, it's great, but you have got to understand. First, where your client is coming from, and you're the one that has to adapt. They'll adapt by the time your session is over, but you're the one that has to fix it.
0: So when a client – because I think that's absolutely true. You have to know where your client is coming from. So when you have a client coming to you, uh, do you have like a set of – because – and this is where, you know, for improv, like improv in a performance – Training center, we talk about metrics and and passing students on and how that can be a little more difficult because it's a bit more subjective. But in a corporate environment where, you know, the people who are funding these, they're going to want to see outcomes, they're going to want to see objectives. What is it that you Do you work with the person approaching you and saying, okay, what exactly do you want for your objectives and your outcomes? And if so, then how you're applying that or are they like, how is that being created?
1: Yeah. So it's exactly what you said. So I have a long talk with my contact and say by the end of this session, What do you want them to come out with? And, and, you know, the, the buzz term and and we use this in applied improv network a lot is observable, measurable behavior. And, and so what is it that when they leave this session, you want to hear and or see and or what have you. So, um, I was working with a a ad agency here in town and uh, they had me at the, at the, all day working with different teams. And so the reason for having was, was, twofold first off to get a couple of the concepts out that, that the VP was like, yes, the, these are the things X, Y, Z that I think you and what you do can help my team get across. The other thing was to do, Oh, and I hate this word team building. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it because it like improv is another buzz term that immediately, like you hear team building and you think, buzz, you know, you're getting the buzzwords and you're going to think like a a trust fall or that you guys are all going like zip lining or something. Right. And it's a nightmare. So, so, so now I have two whammies against me. So I always say to my client, do not introduce me as someone who teaches improv and or team building. Just don't do it. Right. So that's part of that long talk with the client beforehand is how are you going to market this to your team before I arrive? So that, that saves a lot of that. So I was working with this team and, and he, he told me what he wanted to, them to come out with. And um, at the end of one of my sessions, uh, he comes back and he says, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And one of his, one of his um, employees said, you know, what, I think that was really fun what Missy did. And uh, I get it, but I don't have a problem talking to my clients. And he said, you know, and he named some guy and he was like, Stan and I can stay on the phone for like half an hour. And he goes, and we're, you know, it's fine and everything's fine. And then he said, the VP told me that the man stopped and he said, oh, wait a second. If I do what Missy just taught us to do, then actually what's happening is Stan and I are on the phone for 10 of those minutes getting business done. And I'm talking the rest of the 20. He goes, I'm wasting Stan's time. And I'm thinking that I have to keep Stan entertained, but Stan keeps calling, so he's obviously committed to us, and he's got projects with us, and by doing that then I'm the one hogging, moving the spotlight. I'm the one hogging the spotlight. And, which is, uh, moving the is a big term with me. So, he said, I gotta put the spotlight on Stan, and when Stan's finished, I'm
0: done. I want you, because that's, since that's like one of your big terms, could you, uh, explain your concept of moving the spotlight to the listeners that may not understand what that, that concept is.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So actually you just did it. Um, So the spotlight's on you in the sense that this is your podcast, right? Right. And so, um, but I'm a guest. So the idea of keeping the spotlight, you could, you could have throughout all this um, you could have said, Oh yeah, that's like the time I blah, blah, blah. That's that. That's taking the spotlight back to you. Um, And you would be that would be well within your right, not only as a conversational piece, but it's your podcast. However, you're making sure that I'm getting the spotlight as your guest. So just saying right there. You know what? I've heard these terms. You're throwing these around. Um, Can you please explain for our listeners? So you not only by wording it that way, put the spotlight back on me, but on the listeners as well. And including them and doing that. So one of the big exercises that I do to teach that is is doing exactly what we're doing right now, having a conversation. But the person who's receiving the conversation cannot use the words I, me, or my, which we've already worked on prior to to this, to this exercise happening, and cannot relate because if I said to you, hey, when this is all over, I've got to go mow my lawn. If you said, then the spotlight's on me, right? And if you said, oh, I mowed my lawn yesterday, you said I and my in the same sentence and took it back and now the conversation's about you and your yard. Instead of saying, so if, to keep the spotlight on me, you can say, oh, how long does your yard take? Do you have a big yard? I worked with um, a group of advisors recently from University of Cincinnati and I told them I was going to use this example with, from here on when I teach this and that um, they were doing this exercise and the, the, the receiver said, this is what happened to me, he said I was not going to use I, me, my, and I was going to try not to relate. He said one sentence in his, his uh, conversation partner said, oh, my, um, my cat's not doing well. My cat was sick this morning and the receiver said my immediate thought was to say oh i have two dogs and he said that's totally different that's not about me his cat is sick he said so i had to stop for a second and stop myself from saying that and say oh my goodness what's going on do do you need to do you need to go right after this and and take her to the vet and and he said and by doing so that conversation got so in, depth. I found out more about him just by keeping my mouth shut than I would have. He said, because at this point it was, oh, I have a cat. Oh, I have two dogs. I have blah, 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 blah. He said, we wouldn't have gotten as far as we did if I hadn't uh, stopped to listen.
0: I think that's with especially with those corporate clients, those are, those are skills that they don't necessarily even recognize how they're, they're not, whether they're not growing them or whether they lack them to begin with. And that can make a huge difference when dealing with, you know, a client or a customer who's upset or trying to do sales. I just, um, the whole corporate world is just like a different, it's a different beast for sure. Um, And so when you have, so in the corporate sense then you're going to get people in here who are like, I have to be here or I'm getting fired. So they're really coming in with like, prove it, right? So how do you, you, what are some tools or techniques you're doing to get them on your side? Um,
1: I start right away by telling them that um, if I had been a part of this workshop uh, 16 years ago, I'd be the people who didn't want to be here today. And so and I tell them a little bit about um, not because as an introductory, like, oh, here's about me. And now we're going to be together for three hours. But to say and I, I, I tell the cancer story as fast as I can and say that's how I, I found improv. But that prior to that very first sentence that Ryan said to us, I was in the back of the Sat comedy lab as far back in the dark as I could get wanting to vomit. I did not want to be there. And I tell them that to say, when I write these exercises, when I create these games, when I make the, the palette of what we're going to do today, I write it from that woman's perspective. Not from the one you see before you. The one you see before you is going to execute them. The one you don't know from 16 years ago wrote them because she didn't want to be here either. Right. So that tends to take a little bit and you see some shoulders drop and go, okay. Right. The other thing is that I always say, you're not, it's not about comedy ha ha and you're not gonna be alone. You you will never ever, ever in anything that we do in our entire time together, be the the you'll have two people or three people or four people or five people. You will never be alone. Um uh, you know, and I could go through the whole like it's safe to fail and celebrate mistakes. and, and I get, I get to that. But I get to that through the exercises. I get to that by by starting off teaching eye contact. Um, and then from that the no I me my. And then from that um, understanding that you know that we do move the spotlight and that we should not be ha- you know, helping them realize how they're hogging a conversation. Um, let me go back to the advisors from CCM. I mean, from UC, um, uh, what was great as they were coming out of it was they said, one of them said, uh, she said, and I asked her, I said, can I use this as an example? She said, of course. She said, I've been doing this for so long that a student will come to me and I already can begin to predict what their problem is going to be. And she said, I shut them down because I didn't realize I'm shutting them down thinking I'm solving a problem. Right. So I say that kind of thing. I tell those kind of stories to my corporate players and say, and please realize that I'm not here to point fingers. I'm here to help you realize what it is you may or may not be doing and how we can heighten and explore the really great things that you are already doing, but that, you know, this isn't about trying to embarrass you or, or, anything like that we are going to figure out what works and I can I guarantee you um that by the second exercise the debrief which I do throughout I don't wait till like oh it's been half an hour let's see like we talk we've got to talk it through corporate people um and by the second one they go oh my word I I didn't realize how much I'm not looking at people when I talk that exercise was incredibly difficult for me you know, or that kind of thing. And so from that, and to realize that we're all on the same page, no matter, you know, where they're coming from, helps tremendously. So that by the end, when we're doing categories, or when we're doing things that are more about gut instinct, they feel safer, they feel they're not going to get judged. And they know that everything that we've done so far, because they say this time, we're going to move very quickly, Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to apply from the first exercise, what we learned in the first exercise immediately gets applied to the second. If you don't participate in the first one, then the concept that you needed is not going to serve you in the second one. And they can understand that as, you know, people who have processes at work and procedures at work and that they have to, uh, do one thing in order to make something else happen. Especially my, my engineers, when I go work with the engineers, um, P and G and G E and all that kind of stuff. They get that. They totally are like, okay, that's what I got from this one. Now I have to use that as I do the section.
0: I love that you're tying the exercises so they're not standalone. You know, you're you have you have thought through the entire process of the workshop of how this is all gonna like thread through. That's I think that's so important. Um, especially in that environment.
1: And it goes back to that same concept of when I'd say to you know, pe- people like you who teach improv or high school drama teachers or what have you. When I say, okay, if you you've got to be thinking through the process of what you're teaching. So when when I say to and and uh, high school teachers are my people, so I can I can say this. Um, when I say, why are you teaching freeze tag? Oh, it's fun. The kids like it. I go, no, no, no. Why are you teaching freeze tag? Oh. Uh, break it down what three spolen exercises make up freeze tag and have you done said three spolen exercises that Paul Sills brilliantly put together to create you know other games and and that's when so teachers get really overwhelmed by the
0: spolen book um understandable <laughs> but but I love that spolen book I just literally yesterday uh, one of my coaches said something about one of the players and I said, great, let me think about it a little bit. And what did I do? But that meant I needed to go to back to my swollen book and take a look at breaking down because it's a variety of issues of players dealing with. Mm-hmm. So let me break that apart and now go find exercises that we can now run. Absolutely. I go back to swollen all the time, Absolutely. all the time. People who have yet to read Spola need to read Spolin. Right,
1: right. And I tell them all the time that I say to people who go, oh, so it's such a huge book or I don't need it. I always go, no, here's the thing. Um, for people who think that improv is easy, you need to realize that it's hard. And for those people who think it's hard, you need to realize that it's 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 not so bad, right? And it, the Spolin book's the same way. Right. For the people who think the spolen book is overwhelming, when you understand how it works, it's your it's your best friend. And for those people who go, ah, I got this, I go, Oh really? Can you can you make me a game right now based on three sections of the spolin book? Go, hot shot. Like <laughs> that book should consistently remain overwhelming in a good way to us. You know, the the the, the yeah.
0: I um what do you have any um, thoughts? Final, like thoughts or advice you'd want to give to people who are really uh, in the thick of teaching or want to start making their way over to an applied side of it? Um, what do you want? What do you want to tell people out there?
1: Yeah, that's interesting because I'm on a committee right now for um, Applied Improv Network that is actually establishing what that looks like those you know and, and and you know the oh so you think this is for you okay great let's talk about what this really looks like and i just uh did the section the first section called talking to the client um and that is where the face of improv you know you are the message at that point right so in developing that first talking to the client conversation piece, I, we, we have done the rest of it as if it's a lot of matrix and did you do this and did you do this and what legalities are you and all this kind of stuff for section two, three, four and five. And I said to the committee, I can't do that with this. There's too much to talk about. Right. So like, for instance, things that you may think are, I, it goes back to, um, you know our conversation earlier of of old school sack and new school sack people right and knowing that that i'm a firm believer and you have to dance with the one you came with right and that the awesome SAC comedy lab that is in orlando right now would not be there without the forefathers who were the blood sweat and tears to get it there right i owe SAC a lot um so i'm gonna shout them out especially since you're a florida girl as well but um but the other th- the thing too is you've got to dance with the one he came with as far as the as the improv training take- taking it over to the corporate. I get that. I will absolutely condense what I was gonna say before because I, I got to think about it. I was like, am I even answering her questions? Um no, so what I was gonna say about when the transition, like there are so many things that you have to start thinking about. Um And it's not just carrying the improv over. And I think that is one of the biggest pitfalls for people who come from a performance improv standpoint, we'll just call it that, who want to move over to the corporate. For instance, and I'll give this away as a freebie. Where are you in the lineup of the day for your client? Right? Where are you? Are you first? That's not always a great place to be right? Are you right after lunch? That's really not a great place to be, right? Because not only are they sleepy, but they've already now had time to check emails. And now that's weighing over them. The first part is hard. I always tell my clients, if you've got business, if you've got a business meeting to do, like housekeeping to do, do that for the first half hour, and then use the last five to talk about me right? Because I don't need to be first out of the gate. They already either are excited to be there because they're offsite or what have you, or they're stressed because they're a mom of three, you know, that kind of thing. And now they have to do what for two hours with this strange woman. Right. So, so that's the kind of thing that, that again, the pitfalls that we're noticing at aim that we're noticing that people are falling into who want to come over. Right. The second thing is, know your stuff. Like I cannot emphasize this enough, but when, you know, and and I may make some enemies when I say this, but I'm gonna say this anyway. If you're gonna take on a client of, I don't know, lawyers or whatever, a hundred lawyers, then know the games, know your Spolen book, know the concepts, know the the outcomes, and then put the two together to create your program. If you can't do that, please go to someone who can help you create curriculum, right? Don't just, don't just go, oh, this will be fun. And then at the end, I'll put lawyers and freeze tag. Oh no, don't do that, right? Please don't do that. And, and the amount of, of people who have come to me and gone, well, this is what I was thinking about doing. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you called me before that. We're, you're not going to do that right you do you want to be you know tarred and feathered and and escorted out to your car that's what's going to happen right and that's so that's the biggest thing and so in developing what we're working on with this committee which we're hoping hoping to debut with the first of the year it's a reality check really is is what it is is you may be a fantastic improviser, but are you really ready to take it over to the corporate side because there's a whole lot more about and on top of the fact that there's legalities how are you getting paid you know like I mean there's there's so
0: much to consider yeah right right um I um nowadays because I've done it enough but when someone was like okay great where's your contract I'm like what what what's a con oh oh right these guys are for realties, <laughs> right <laughs> right Yeah,
1: exactly, exactly. And then, you know, and then at the end, having to tell Uncle Sam about how that all worked out.
0: Right, and that's the other thing too. Absolutely. Um, um, Where can people find you uh, social media-wise and all those good things? Um, Facebook, it's just Missy
1: Whitest. Um, W-H-I-T-I-S. I -I I always say it's like Whitest Snow. Um, And then... um, for Twitter it's interesting it's I have a little boutique PR firm called Hotshot PR um so they can find me there at Hotshot PR um and then the middle child um is the improv troupe so it, Twitter is the middle child for and then on Facebook we're the middle child out of you can look up uh, middle child Cincinnati can always find us that way. Um, and then that links, uh, I think our website's down, but the middle is our web is our website. And that links to my blog and, and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, after the first of the year, you'll be able to find me, uh, I'm teaching, uh, at the digital media collective department at university of Cincinnati, um, where I will be teaching, where I'll be teaching comedy. Uh, I'm teaching a class called creating a comedy web series and I get to teach and I love this television genres. Thank you. Thank you. I called my parents and I said, allowing my sister and me to be very nerdy about television is paying off because I'm going to go teach it now. So, so anyway, so you can, uh, you can find me through that and we've got exciting things coming up on the blog about creating comedy web web series and all that kind of stuff. so, so that'll be easy, and then you know, just Google me.
0: <laughs> I love all that. I love that. I I want to come take this TV class. Uh, oh, so. you know what?
1: My pastor said the same thing last Sunday at church. He was like, "So what are you teaching?" I said, "Television genres." He goes, "Can I send, can I take that class?" Like, and anyway, yes, please do. That
0: would be hysterical. That would be amazing. Uh, thank you so much for your time. I really I really really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, thank it.
1: you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs>